invite the rest of us to take our Bibles while they're making their way to the back to Matthew chapter 6. I want to ask you a question here as we begin. I wonder this morning, do you have a quiet place where you spend time alone with God? In our study of Matthew chapter 6, we're asking God to teach us to pray. We need to pray for each other. We need to pray for our families. We need to pray for our church. And we need to pray for our country. I no doubt you've heard about the big deal that was about Chick-fil-A and their stand against gay marriage recently. And there was a tremendous turnout of support for their position this past Wednesday was Chick-fil-A Day. And thousands of people agree with their uh, position on biblical marriage and they oppose the homosexual lifestyle. And they went to Chick-fil-A restaurant and showed their support by eating a chicken sandwich. But do you realize it probably did very little of anything to make a difference? The homosexual agenda is to do away with anything or anyone who opposes their lifestyle. They call it hate when someone opposes their way of thinking. But you know what? Eating or not eating Chick-fil-A will not stop them. But you know what will? Prayer. Prayer could make a real difference in our day, in our country. The average Bible believer probably does not even pray for America or Canada or Australia or England or you name it. Once a year, let alone regularly. And if you do pray for America, then you're above average. But I said the average Bible-believing Christian does not pray for our country on a regular basis. And think about it. Do you even have a daily prayer closet where you intercede against the enemy? We are exhorted to pray for all that are in authority. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And the reason we're taught to pray this way is that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life, a life in all godliness and honesty, that souls might be saved. And the average Bible-believing church's prayer meeting is a sad affair, and in most cases it's a joke. Churches used to have real prayer meetings during the midweek service. But though they still have something called prayer meetings, there's very little praying going on. One of the Baptist churches in the South that supported the Chick-fil-A day canceled its Wednesday night prayer service so that the people could go to the chicken restaurant. And that's foolishness. Because filling our bellies with chicken sandwiches won't drive back the forces of darkness, but prayer will. And if every Bible-believing and every Bible-believing church, uh, every Bible-believing uh, uh, Bible-believer and every Bible-believing church would uh, pray 
at least one day a week for America, it would make a difference. It might not stop the downward spiral, but it would definitely slow it down. In fact, who knows what would happen if we really got God's attention. The disciples asked the Lord Jesus, teach us to pray. Now I want you to notice as we look at Matthew chapter 6 this morning, the first half we talked about in this prayer, chapter 6 verse 9 down through verse 13. The first half of the model prayer is focused solely on God. The prayer opens with an exclusive desire to bring honor and glory to Him and His name. He is exalted as Father. We are taught to pray for His glory, His kingdom, and His will. Everything centers as it should around the God of glory and His honor. We are also taught to pray for ourselves. And on the surface, this petition seems to be a narrow and selfish compared to the broad and unselfish attitude manifested here in the first part of the prayer. But in the first part of this prayer, everything is spiritual. Everything uh, in the second part seems to be sensual and selfish and fleshly. And to turn the spotlight off of God and onto ourselves seems to be petty and selfish and small. And yet, even the request we will look at today for personal needs are intensely spiritual in nature. In truth, these petitions elevate our hearts and our God. And even though we're making requests for ourselves, the spotlight still rests squarely in the face of the Almighty God. For as truly as prayer is about adoration and devotion and worship, it is also asking and dependence, and it's about needs. And so this morning we're going to look at requesting and releasing. We've already looked at rest and reverence, reigning and resigning. This morning, requesting and releasing. Prayer is about requesting. Notice verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. I want you to notice the very first thing about this particular verse is the devotion, the devotion of this prayer. By praying this simple prayer, I am saying that I believe in certain things. By coming to God to request for the provision of basic needs of life, I am entering into a time of really profound worship. In reality, no higher form of worship exists for the child of God than to enter in the presence of His Almighty Heavenly Father and unashamedly declare, I cannot make it without you. I am totally dependent upon you. Notice here, I believe in God's power. I believe in God's power. When I pray for God to meet my needs... I am proclaiming my faith in His power to do just that. I am telling my Father that I believe He is able to take care of me. 
This is the Bible's testimony concerning God. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. He is able and he can and he will take care of his children. And if our God can create everything from nothing, then he can take care of you this morning. If he can feed two million Israelites for 40 years in the desert, and then I believe he can take care of you and your needs. If he can do all the great things he's done throughout the pages of the word of God, then you do not need to doubt his ability to take care of you. He is able and he will see to it that your needs are met. Do you believe that this morning? By praying in this way, in this manner, you're saying, I believe in God's power. Secondly, you say, I believe in God's promises. I believe in God's promises. When I pray this simple prayer, I am confessing my faith in the promises God has made to his children. The Bible is very clear when it tells us that the Lord will take care of his own. Philippians 4 and verse 19 says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He has promised to do it and he will do it. Thirdly, we're saying I believe in God's personality. I believe in God's personality. When we ask God for the daily needs of our lives, we are not trying to twist his arm to get him to give us things that he does not want us to have. We're not trying to overcome his reluctance to meet our needs. We are merely laying hold on his provision. We are humbly acknowledging his willingness to to give, and nothing honors God more than his children coming to him in childlike faith, asking him for what they need, believing that he loves them and that he's a generous God. God is not a Scrooge who has to be persuaded that you have needs. He's your father. And he delights in giving us the good things of life. And look at the great gifts God has already given. Consider the great gift of his son, Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He is an open-handed God who rejoices in the opportunity to give to his children. This prayer acknowledges and honors that aspect of God's personality. And so we notice here the devotion of this prayer. Secondly, we notice the dependence of this prayer. The dependence. Not only does this prayer honor the Lord by worshiping him as a great giver, it also expresses the total dependence of the child of God upon his heavenly father. Notice what this prayer says about us in our relationship to the heavenly father. First of all, it's a prayer of confession. It's a prayer of confession. The simple statement says, I can't meet my own needs, but you can, Lord. When I pray this prayer, I'm confessing my own weakness, my own limitations, and I'm confessing that I believe that God is able to do what I'm not able to do. When I pray this prayer, I'm not resting in my own ability to work or to uh, uh, to 
put even food on my own table. I'm acknowledging the truth that I can only work because God gives me the strength. I'm expressing the truth that he is God and I am totally dependent upon him for the things that I need as I pass through this life day by day. Do you realize there's no such thing as a self-made man? We hear a lot about that, don't we? Paul had a handle on this when he said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. If we have anything, if we are anything, it's because of the gracious working of God in our lives. I must come to the place where I am honest about who is really in control. It is not only a prayer of confession, but it's a prayer of confidence. The idea of this simple prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Give us day by day the things that are necessary for life. This is not a request for God to meet the needs that are not yet arisen. It is an expression of faith in God that says, I believe you will take care of me one day at a time. Someone has said yesterday is a canceled check. It has already been redeemed. Tomorrow is a promissory note. It may never be paid. Today is cash in hand. Spend it wisely. There's no need to pray about yesterday's needs for yesterday is gone forever. And there's really no need to pray about tomorrow's needs for tomorrow may never come. I am told to pray about today and to walk in simple faith with the Lord day by day. Remember what Jesus said? Take therefore no thought for tomorrow, for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought of the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Matthew 6, 34. Far too many believers try to live on yesterday's bread, but it's stale and it's moldy. What you need is fresh bread day by day. We need a fresh work of the Lord in our hearts and our lives every day we live. We need to walk with him on a day by day basis. Trust him for all the needs of our lives. We need his righteousness for our sinfulness. We need his supply for our weakness. We need his patience for our haste. We need the bread of life, the Lord Jesus Christ, to nourish us day by day. By the way, when you eat your daily bread, remember that a kernel of wheat had to fall to the ground and die so you could have bread. And as you pass through this life, never forget that Jesus Christ went to the cross and died in your place so you might have him as your bread of life day by day. You need him. Do not be afraid to call upon him in confidence, knowing that no one comes to the heavenly father's table and goes away hungry. It's a prayer of confession. It's a prayer of confidence. Thirdly, it's a prayer of contentment. The simple prayer says, I am willing to accept the things you send into my life today. I may not always like the bread God sends my way, but I can trust him to send me exactly what I need. So I, if I call upon, if I'm called upon to eat the bread of sorrow, or if I'm called upon to eat the bread of affliction, then he knows best. If I'm allowed to feast on angels' food and heavenly manna, then that too is his choice for me. 
My duty is to trust him to do in my life exactly what needs to be done day by day. The practice of contentment is one of the greatest challenges that any believer faces today. And yet it is what God expects from each one of us. Nothing says, I trust you, Lord, like perfect contentment on the part of his children. And may the Lord help us to get there and to walk with the Lord in total dependence day by day. Notice, thirdly, a third aspect, the depth of this prayer. The depth of this prayer. On the surface, this is a simple request. Give us this day our daily bread. It's a simple, straightforward request. Yet, when we think about it, this prayer is very large in its scope. I want you to notice first, it's a communal prayer, a communal prayer. I want you to notice two particular words, us and our. This is not a prayer that's to be prayed selfishly. It is not give me my daily bread. It says give us our daily bread. It's not about getting my needs, but it's about praying for the needs of the family of God. You know, we're challenged here and commanded to have the best interest of our brothers and sisters at heart as we pass through this life and as we pray. We're to pray for one another. We're to pray for preachers. We're to pray for teachers. We're to pray for our missionaries. We're pray for that single mother, for that struggling teenager. We're just pray for that family that's suffering, for that sick one, for every conceivable need in the lives of others. You know, there are many times when I could not pray for myself as I should have. But I'm thankful that God had others praying for me during those times. The prayers of God's children are precious and should be offered one for another liberally. One day a preacher was visiting a a bedfast member of his congregation and he said, I'm sorry I'm late today. As he was visiting this aged member, but I've been all around town. Well, I said, the old woman, that's just where I've been. But you cannot walk, said the minister. Ah, the old saint said, you see, my soul isn't bedridden. So I just go around the town and every day in prayer while I lie here. It's a communal prayer. Give us our daily bread. It's a comprehensive prayer. It's a comprehensive prayer. One commentator said this phrase should be expressed this way. Give us this day, the day sufficient for our substance. It's more than a prayer for food on our plates. It's a humble request for God to provide everything we need to make make it through the day we could ever get to the place where we truly trust him for all we need day by day and then worry uh, would die out in our lives. We'd be in a place of contentment and peace. Let me quickly say that it's not wrong to pray for our needs. Some people will not pray for themselves thinking it's fleshly or not spiritual. But Jesus, Jesus clearly commands us to pray for the necessities of life. And therefore, let us not be ashamed to bring every need, every matter to him, knowing he will hear us and sustain us and supply us as we move through this world. Now, the second thing we notice here, not only is prayer about requesting, but the prayer is about releasing. 
Here we are going to have to deal with the matter of our sins. Not only are we going to look at the sins that we have committed before God, but we are also going to deal with the matter of sin in our relationships with other humans. And I realize that just reading this verse makes some people nervous. No one likes to talk about this matter of sin. But I hope you won't just turn me off at this point. I hope you will keep your hearts open to the voice of the Spirit of God as he speaks to each of us concerning this matter. As we've studied in the various aspects of prayer, I hope we learn the truth that this is a family prayer. I call your attention back to verse 9 uh, where it says, uh, After this manner, therefore pray ye our Father. The first thing we're taught there is to call on the name of our Heavenly Father. Everything we've been taught to pray is to be prayed without, within the context of our family relationship in the Lord. We're praying to our Father. We're praying about our daily bread. And with that in mind, I want to see what it, that it comes when it comes to this our prayer lives and dealing with this problem of sin. Prayer is about releasing this. Prayer, first of all, again, involves confession. We talked about that in, in verse uh, 10 or in verse 11 there. But in verse 12, he says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This is a truth that many believers have trouble with. But the fact is, we may be saved, but we can and do still sin. Sad fact is made very plain in 1 John chapter 1. It's very clear from the testimony of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7. His experience is one we all share. And friends, we need to have a clear conscience about our sin. Far too many believers act as though they think sin is something that happens in the lives of others, but not in them. And so as a result of that, they never go to the altar to pray. They never confess their wrongdoings. They never confess their shortcomings. They never go to another believer and say, I'm sorry, I hurt you and I was wrong. It never happens. But that kind of awareness of sin should be a part of our lives every day. By the way, every saved individual should have a constantly growing hatred of sin. That exists in our lives. But most believers look over their own sins and failures. And, and never seem to have a need to deal with them. One thing is sure. We all have the problem of sin in our lives. And we all need help in dealing with that problem. And it's true that. If I'm ever going to get help. I need to. In dealing for, with my sin problem. I'm going to have to admit my guilt before God. Now notice the word debts there in verse 12. It's a reference to our sin. It's one of five words used in the New Testament for sin. If we look at these five uses, you first find the one, uh, first one in Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. This particular word uh, used several times in the New Testament. It carries the meaning of missing the mark. It's an archery term. It's used in... Uh, to refer to an archer that shoots an arrow that falls far short of the target. 
And then in Ephesians 1 and Colossians 3 and verse 13, the word there is translated offenses or trespass. Carries the idea of slipping or falling. Refers to the sins that result from carelessness instead of intentional disobedience. In James chapter 2 and verse 9, the word again is translated transgression. Refers to an intentional crossing of boundaries established by the word, by God in his word. This is far more conscious sin than either the other two. And then in 1 John 3 and verse 4, and then Matthew chapter 7 and verse 23. There again we have the word translated iniquity. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Again, it literally means without law or lawlessness. It refers to high-handed sin that is committed without regard to what God has to say about the matter. And then here in Matthew 6 and verse 12, it's the word debt. Debtor. It refers to something that is owed to another party. Jesus says our sin is like a debt owed to God and to our fellow man. And when the Lord calls our sin a debt, he is reminding us that when we sin, we owe him something. Now, why is this true? Because when you and I sin, it requires that we use our bodies and our minds or both. And the Bible is clear that when it teaches us that both our body and our spirit belongs to God. And when the Lord redeemed us, he brought us out, he bought us out completely. If you're saved... You're not your own because you've been bought with a price. God owns you. And therefore we need to use our bodies. If when we use our bodies to commit sin, we are indebted to the Lord because we have used his property for our own purposes. And when I see and am made aware of the sin I carry within my own heart, then the only recourse I have is to confess my guilt before the Lord so that healing and cleansing can begin in my life. I need to come clean before the Lord. So when I pray and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, I'm confessing to the Lord that I have a problem with my with sin in my life. I'm aware of that problem and I owe God a debt that I cannot pay on my own. It's confession. This prayer also involves a cry if my greatest problem is my sin, then my greatest need is for forgiveness. When we raise the issue of forgiveness, someone will always say, well, but I'm saved. Am I not already forgiven of my sins? The answer to that question is both yes and no. Judicially speaking, when we're saved, we're completely justified by God, declared righteous by him and even perfect in our standing in his sight. That is the clear teaching of the word of God. That is our positional standing. It defines our relationship to the Lord. And it can never be altered. As far as God is concerned. The child of God is righteous and perfect. And free from the taint of sin. And it's a wonderful glorious truth. And it's one that needs to be embraced. But practically speaking. You and I still sin on a daily basis. We may be in a permanent relationship with God 
that can never be affected by our sin, but our walk with him, our daily fellowship with him, can certainly be damaged by the sin that comes into our life. So simply stated, our relationship with God through Jesus Christ is eternal and stands solely upon his grace. It cannot be affected by any internal or external, but it's perfect, it's permanent, and can never be severed. However, our fellowship with God is temporary in nature and hinges upon our obedience to him and our willingness to walk with him. We are to walk in his light if we wish to enjoy his fellowship on an ongoing basis. Now, we should be thankful for our relationship with the Lord. Thank God that it's eternal. Thank God you don't have to worry about losing that blessed connection between you and God. However, we should be aware that when we fall out of fellowship with the Lord, and that's why we have a consciousness of sin in our lives day by day, we need to maintain as close a walk with Jesus as possible. We need him, and we must shun the sin to have fellowship to be all that we can be. Now with that in mind, when sin rears its ugly head in your life and my life, we do not need to try and hide it. We should never attempt to sweep it under the rug or pretend that it doesn't exist. We should rather drag it out in the light of God's word, confess it, confess uh, for what it is, And deal with it. The only way our sins can ever be forgiven. And our fellowship restored with the Father. God's way of dealing with sin is clear. Maybe painful. But it's productive. He wants us to deal with sin like he does. He wants us to judge it. In our own lives. Let me remind you that this prayer is a family prayer. We're talking to our Father. He's not a cruel despot. He's not a terrifying ogre. He's a loving, tender, gracious God whose mercy endureth forever. And this simple prayer is about confessing our problem before the Lord and voicing our plea, crying out to Him for forgiveness. But it also involves one other thing, that is this prayer involves a condition. A condition. The most difficult part of this prayer is the last part. When this prayer is understood correctly, it is a prayer for God to extend forgiveness to me the same degree that I extend forgiveness to others. And that can be a scary thought. When I refuse to maintain fellowship with other believers in the family of God, it affects my own fellowship with God the Father. Regardless of what anyone else does to me in this life, it could never possibly rise to the same level as my guilt before the Lord. And Jesus illustrated this truth over in Matthew chapter 18. The lesson is clear. If I expect the Lord to forgive me when I cry out to him, then I must be quick to forgive those who have wronged me. I am to forgive them at the same level that I am forgiven. Again, the Bible is very clear about this. Let's just try to make it a little more practical this morning. When you've wronged someone and you know it, you're to go to them. You're to confess your wrong and you're to seek their forgiveness. Some people never grow in the Lord and they wonder why. The answer is simply this. You need to go to those you have offended and say, will you forgive me? 
your fellowship with the family of God and with the Heavenly Father will never be at all what it should be unless you're willing to do that. Others have been hurt. Others have been offended. And you wear the pain of that moment. And it will lead, be a lead weight within your own heart and soul. If you ever expect to get past that, you must forgive that person. If the person repents, then all is well. Put it behind you. Get over it. If you go to them and they refuse to acknowledge their wrongdoing, then take it before the Lord and give, forgive them anyway and get past it. If you do not get past the hurts and the problems you've encountered in your past, they will destroy you. When you harbor resentment and ill feeling in your heart because of what someone else has said or done uh, to you or about you, then you're hurting no one but yourself. And you get before the Lord and deal with this matter once and for all. I'm never more like Jesus than when I forgive those who have offended me. So when I pray this simple prayer, I am saying, Lord, help me to be more like you. Now let me encourage you to come to the Father and tell him your needs. They're in your life. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. Never limit your praying to a large matter. Pray about little things too. Come to him and call upon his name, believing that he cares, that he hears, and that he will answer you for this glory. Jeremiah 33.3 says, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. John 14.13 and 14 says, And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do it, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye ask anything in my name, I will do it. Matthew 21, 22, In all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. Are there some things you need to pray about this morning? Forgiving and being forgiven are important. Again, notice that first word in verse 12. It's the word and. This little word connects verse 12 with verse 11. Just as I'm taught to pray for things I need to sustain life day by day, I'm also taught that I need forgiveness. I not only need to eat, I need to have a clean heart. There are times when I'm offended by others. At those times, I need grace to forgive them and get past the hurt. And so in the final analysis, praying is about releasing It's about my releasing my sins into the hands of God's grace so that I can experience his forgiveness. It's about releasing my debts that others occur in my own life so that my fellowship is not hindered with God or with man. I wonder this morning, are there debts in your life that need to be dealt with, need to be canceled out this morning? If so, bring them to him and he will deal with them. Are there debts that need to be cleared up with others? If so, make it right whatever it takes so that you can have fellowship with the Lord and with all that you should be, be all that you should be. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your instruction concerning prayer this morning. Your instruction is far reaching into our lives. We know we have needs this morning and we should not be ashamed of coming before you with those needs. And we need to be thankful that you are willing and ready to 
meet those needs because you care for us, you love us. And there may be debts that need to be dealt with. There needs to be a, a sin that needs to be dealt with. We pray, Lord, that you'll, uh, by the Spirit of God, deal with our hearts this morning. If there are those here that do not know Christ as their Savior, that they'll come to know him before it's too late. There are Christians here that are uh, weak and powerless in their lives because they're not spending that time with you on a daily basis in your word and in prayer. I pray, Lord, that the Spirit of God will convict of the need to have that holy place before they get busy with the day and all the things that go on to spend time alone with you. We pray, Lord, that you'll bless as we close this service and the invitation is given. Lord, if there's are those that need to be saved, they'll come and be saved. If there are those that need to do business with you, they'll come to this altar as we close our service. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Number 428, number 428.